Yeah, thank you, everybody. Let me see. Can I restart this? Yeah, so we're we're gonna learn Rust today, and I'm pretty excited. Uh, real quick, show of hands. Who here has has programmed before? Uh, who who has done any Rust before? Okay, okay. Who who thinks they're the dumbest person in this room? Okay, awesome. All right, I'm gonna lean heavily on on the dummies, because uh, uh, I really there's a there's a lot to Rust, and I think we can actually learn a lot by what what um, what what we get stuck on, and we can focus on what we get stuck on and and uh, try to figure it out because we're not gonna learn everything you need to know about Rust today, but if we can get a, a, a relatively strong understanding of a few concepts, I think it'll be helpful going forward for learning. Yeah, so um, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Paul, I am, I'm a front-end developer, so I'm the last guy you want teaching you about Rust. Um, uh, Rust is actually one of my first real, pro it's the first pull, open source pull request I ever did was in Rust. Uh, I just got really interested in it back even before the, the, the 1.0. Um, especially really resonates with kind of the Bitcoin ethos. Like, let's build something for the long term. Let's build something that works. Let's, you know, uh, be aware of the trade-offs we're making. Um, and yeah, so this is the tagline from the, uh, the, the Rust website. What is Rust? Rust is a language empowering everyone to build reliable and efficient software. Uh, so what, is, what does that mean for me? So Rust is, is bare, bare metal. It doesn't have a, a runtime or a garbage collector like some languages you might be familiar with like Python or Go or JavaScript. So the co code runs fast. You can, you can get just as good performance typically as like C++ or C. Um, the, the code runs anywhere. That, that lack of runtime makes Rust highly portable. Like I'm working on a... a, a Bitcoin wallet that works in a web browser, and we're writing that the, the core logic that in Rust. Um, Rust also has this really cool emphasis, and this is a big differentiator from C, C++, at, at catching bugs and errors at compile time. Things that in another language you might be fine, you can ship to production. In Rust, you're just gonna be still stuck trying to get them to compile. And that can be really frustrating in the early early going with Rust, because like, well, this would have worked in a, a, a normal programming language. Why does this have to be weird? Um, but this ends up being like the thing that you're really grateful that, that Rust uh, that helps you with. Um, and also, uh, it has really modern tools and ecosystem, which is, it's just really nice to, to work in. And there's a lot of emphasis on ergonomics. Um, the, you know, the, it's got a package installer, a lot like NPM. Uh, it's got testing built in. Uh, it's got great IDE support. Uh, so that just makes it you know, nice, nice to work with and, and relatively nice to learn. So how do I learn Rust? Like we, we're gonna try to learn as much as we can here, but I definitely want this to be a jumping off point. So sadly, the, you gotta read this book. And uh, uh, lots of languages have a lot of different approaches to, yeah, we got a question? <laughs> yes, sadly, you might have to read this book multiple times. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, it, it, there's just a total consensus that this is the first stop. 
in learning Rust. There's a there's a book uh, that is it, that is kept in line with you know the latest in Rust, and it's a it's a really good path because there are so many concepts uh, to Rust. It's it's it takes you in in a relatively linear path through a lot of those concepts. It won't be everything you ever need to know, but it's it's like a really important way to start. Uh, so definitely recommend. It. It's called the book. Um, some other ways, if you have different learning style or you you know you want to augment that, um, somebody actually made a huge project of it's called like it, it, was, it was designed for Rust in like a simpler English. So like people who might have English as their second language might struggle with the Rust book, and so somebody made this thing. Now they call it Easy Rust, I believe, um, and then somebody else made or, or maybe the same person made a video series like Rust in a series of lunches. Uh, and there's a video for just each concept in that. So if that's your more visual learner, that's a really great resource. If you like example-based learning, I really enjoyed a command line Rust. I actually haven't finished it, but it, you know, as far as I've gotten in it, it's already been really enjoyable. So I think that's another great way to learn. Um, and then uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, writers in the Rust ecosystem that kind of tackle some of the harder problems. Uh, Faster Than Lime is one of those really good writers. And he's got a half hour to learn Rust, which sounds optimistic, but a lot of it's just about exposing you to a lot of syntax because you're going to see a lot of things that you know don't look like your normal programming language and your eyes are going to glaze over and you're not going to know what you're reading. And the best way to learn, you know, how how you know code works is is reading. So learning how to read Rust is going to be very helpful. Um, I also really highly recommend, it's very common in the Rust ecosystem. This is a, a screenshot from BDK, which is what we're going to use today, which is a, a Rust uh, Bitcoin development kit. It's very common for Rust projects to have an examples folder. And so you can clone a Rust project and then cargo run uh, example, whatever the name of the example is. And so going into GitHub's and reading the examples of how somebody, how the library author expects you to use this library is hugely helpful for, for learning Rust uh, in, in more practical ways than just, you know, the more basic tutorial stuff. Um, so yeah, recommend that. And yeah, I just wanna, you know, maybe this is a lot of preface, but I just, I'm just trying to set some expectations. I think it's really common with Rust the first time you see something, you just don't like it. You're like, I just don't like that Rust does that or makes me do that. So like, that's the this kind of sucks stage. Um, and then you kind of find some sort of hacky way to do something, but it doesn't quite feel right. And you start to wonder if there's maybe a more idiomatic solution. You start Googling it. And then you learn about that there's a nice idiomatic uh, way to do something. But the last stage is that you've kind of have that memorized, that's internalized, and now that's easy to you. And so there, like, th there's a lot of concepts in Rust, and there's that, this hump will kind of re recur. So I just want to kind of prepare you for that as you, you start your, your journey. You're not alone. And, uh, and this is more just kind of meta-learning stuff, like be patient with your brain. Uh, if, if you guys heard of this, this concept, the magical number seven plus or minus two, so this is this is a, a thing. I don't know what the I don't know why it's loading Figma. I, I must put in the wrong link. Um, it's supposed to be a link to a Wikipedia page, but this is a concept that uh, our, the way our memories work and our near-term memories work. Most of us can hold 
seven things plus or minus two. I'm definitely a minus two kind of guy. So I can hold in my, in my working memory about five objects, right? And so Rust is gonna try to teach you 20 objects. And you just can't hold that many in your brain. Even if you're a seven, you're, you're, you're really gonna struggle. Um, and so the process of learning is, is becoming so familiar with them that you can com compress these objects. And, and so these five things or seven things that you're holding onto in your brain represent a much larger body of knowledge. And so I, I think Rust especially is a challenge because of the way our minds work in this way, but you can get past this stage and, and Rust will start to feel comfortable but it will feel extra, extra, extra hard at, at first. I also want to just throw up, along your Rust learning journey, there will be these various things that you're going to run into that you're going to struggle with and be confused by, or maybe have decision paralysis of like, which library do I use? So we're not going to go into all these today, uh, but I just want to let you know that these are common things that, that can be hurdles for, for learning Rust. Um, survey, error handling, which web framework do I use? You know, a lot of ecosystems have like their obvious blessed uh, uh, web framework that everybody loves. Uh, Rust has a, a, a bit of a um, bit of competition in that space. Async is a whole monster. Um, and then there's some like uh, more advanced parts of the language that you don't actually have to use every day or don't have to fight with every day. But at, at some point you're gonna be doing something that's gonna re require understanding these concepts. So I'm just kind of flagging these for you. And yeah, I, I believe everybody, uh, I, I was trying to, 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 to let people know before we started, but the, the, to get started with Rust, you need uh, the Rust compiler and toolchain. So that, that's easiest to install uh, rustup.rs. Some operating systems have like a good Rust distribution, but you know, most Rust users seem to just use rustup. And then for IDE support, uh, the, the popular choice is Rust Analyzer. There's also some IDEs that have their own implementation, like the, uh, the JetBrains stuff. Um, but I, I like Rust Analyzer, and I use Rust Analyzer with VS Code and also with um, like Vim-like editors. Uh, yeah, oh, and then that's, that's it. So that's all the preamble. So let's just start, uh, let's start learning some Rust. So what I did is, um, well, first we're just gonna make a new, a new project. So uh, we're just gonna make a project called Paul Workshop or whatever you wanna call it, I don't know. So that was Cargo New Paul Workshop. So if you have Rust installed, you have this cargo tool and that's the sort of the package manager. And so when you do cargo new, it creates a new binary application. And you actually, Rust is um, really nice and they, rust, they write hello word, world for you. Oh no, oh, I forgot to, to cd into the directory. Cargo run, hello world. So we've already completed hello world and we haven't written any code yet. So congratulations, is anybody having a problem with this stage? Everybody's good? All right, so let's open this up. And um, yeah, let's look what we got. So we have a main.rs. So the main is the entry point for your program for a binary. Uh, Rust, Rust projects can be a, a binary or a library. So libraries are designed to be consumed by other projects. 
but we just made a binary here. So that's got a main function and then it has print line, which um, is an exciting, our first weird bit of syntax is there's an, uh, actually, let me make this text just a little bit bigger. We've got an exclamation mark. That just means that print line is actually a macro. Um, it's, uh, so it's fancy and we're not really gonna learn too much about it. Just know that it's a macro because uh, it can accept um, like multiple arguments. So you can say like world and you can do some string in, in, interpolation. Let's say, actually, let's say pleblab. So normal Rust functions don't accept uh, different um, quantities of, of arguments, but they do in, in Rust. Um, yeah, so I, what I wanna do is kind of walk us through, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna pull on this readme that I made. I basically made a Rust project a few weeks ago. Actually, maybe I'll just run this and kind of show you where we're going, um, if hope this works. Piling tons of dependencies, two, 256 dependencies. That's sadly pretty common in Rust. So this is running a web server and yeah, this is going, so let's, let's open this up. So this is, I call this PayPal. Um, so this is a server with a BDK as like a Bitcoin wallet um, that's generating a new addresses off of a, a wallet descriptor. Um, and it's also connecting to a lightning node in, in the cloud on running on voltage to get new invoices. And then every time I refresh, it gets a new address, it gets a new invoice, and then also puts them together in a unified QR code. Um, and so that's all. So I don't know if we'll get all of that done. <coughs> Maybe that's a little optimistic, but I, uh, what I, what I did is I just kind of wrote down, um, what I was, uh, what I was thinking, what I was doing at that time. So I'm just going to pull that into to here, and we're just going to try to recreate as much of this as we can ourselves. So we've already got step zero done, where we have Rust up and Rust Analyzer. And so yeah, let's just do do step one. And I kind of hope that I fail at some of the stuff. I'm, I'm, yes, go ahead. That's kind of hard to read. So bigger? Oh, the readme? Um, I don't even know if that's pushed. This is, this is, these are my notes for, for what we're doing right now. I, you don't have to, to have this right now, I don't think. Um, but uh, I, there is, it's like you can go to github.com slash futurepaul slash paypal. I don't know if I actually pushed the readme. Uh, let me do that real quick, actually. Um, add readme. So yeah, that should be at uh, github.com slash futurepaul slash paypal. If you guys want to pull that up. Um, so, that, so actually that would be helpful, good, good call. Um, so yeah, so the first thing we want to do is, um, 
You know, BDK, uh, actually, maybe I should, should explain a little bit about BDK. Is anybody here familiar with BDK? Okay, just a few. All right. So let's um, try a new... Trying a new browser today. Great, great choice. Uh, let's see. We got BDK. So BDK, BDK is a modern, white, lightweight, descriptor-based wallet library written in Rust. Um, BDK is in turn uh, built on uh, Rust Bitcoin, um, and this is just one of the you know this is one of the advantages of using Rust. Uh, maybe the advantage is that you're getting uh, some really good tools built for you the right way. Um, and BDK, I think, is one of those where the thought is, hey, what if we build the part of a Bitcoin wallet that everybody has to build and we build it really well and in a way that's you know, usable in all sorts of settings. And now as a wallet developer, which is, which is me, like I don't have to understand or think about all of the low level aspects of this. I can just use it. And yeah, so they've got an example right here of um, of setting up a new wallet, and so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this. But first, we need this wallet descriptor. Um, so let's see. Yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna paste this. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Here I've got. So we got cargo new. We did that. Hello world. So now we want to like read this descriptor uh, like from the environment. So this will be our first our first uh, Rust logic. So um, if you go to the Rust book, there's some, some st stuff about um, the, oh, no, that link isn't working, shoot. All right, we're just gonna read something from the environment. I might have to cheat off my e existing logic. Um, there is, let's first, let's make a, like a, a .env file and we'll say wallet descriptor, all right. So it's kind of like an XPub plus. So it, it has uh, an XPub in it, or in this case, a TPub because it's a test net. Um, but it also has like the, what the derivation path is. So like this is, have you ever seen like walletrecovery.org? Like, <laughs> like all these like, hey, you have the seed words, but you actually don't know enough. To, uh, to, to, to actually restore these funds. This is the other part that you need to know, like what, what kind of address this is. This is WPKH. Um, this is the fingerprint and this is the, de the derivation path. So if you have all of this, then you're actually good. And so that uh, there, there's, and that, that's BDK is all descriptor based. Um, you know, I'm gonna probably, I'm gonna cheat a lot more than I thought I, thought I would have to because Let's see. I just copy and paste there one. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if you know how to get your own descriptor, go for it. Um, but I just I just steal theirs. Um, it works for me because I'm not going to be spending this. Um, yeah. So what we want to do is is we're going to load this environment variable from from .env. And uh, there's a library called uh, .env. So if, if as soon as you want to do something in Rust, uh, let's see, let's see. 
I'm just I'm, I'm I'm trying to put you guys in my shoes because I'm I'm in my shoes right now of trying to remember how I did all this stuff. Um, yeah, so let's. Uh, so I know I want to read a file from the environment and get those environment variables. And um, so I'm just gonna uh, uh, grab a crate. Um, you can there's a crates.io. Uh, there's also, yeah, there we go. So that, so this is a way to like browse libraries a lot like NPM. Um, and this is, I, I just, I, I just really heavily rely on Google. Um, but yeah, so what we want to do is we're going to add this library so to, to, to read the, the uh, environment variables for us. So let's go um, a terminal. I'm going to just go just a tiny bit smaller. So cargo has a command called cargo add, and you can just add a, a dependency. Now you can see the uh, .env is now in my dependencies in my cargo .toml. That's all, a lot like a package JSON, basically. And now I can import it in here. Um, and I'm just going to read from the, the file name. So we want .env from file name. So this is kind of the method syntax, this colon colon. We're going to read from .env. And now we should have those environment variables available to us. And then we can use the standard library with the env. And what we want, wallet descriptor. All right. Yeah, actually, well, so let me let me show you a little bit about this import syntax. So I um, something REST analyzer is on my computer. It's command period. These like quick fixes are pretty helpful for imports. So if you see, it's it's saying like uh, so right now we don't have an env in our like current namespace. Um, so I'm going to import standard env. Um, and now I have I have an env uh, because of this. So now I can use this var method, right? Now I could just the other way I could do it is so like it cannot find function from file name. So I have that you know I have the .env library, um, but I don't have that in my current you know working area. So what I can do is I can add an import like that. And so what I do sometimes, it's, it's just really kind of a matter of taste, whether to be like really more explicit, um, like we could also just do it like that. So we now, but like var is such a, like a tiny little function, like, I don't know, I think I'd rather have it like this, but uh, it, that's kind of a matter of taste. So. Sorry if, sorry if I'm a, a little all, all over the place, but yeah, let's, let's explain. Yeah, this, this, uh, so we, we have, we've imported this method from 
uh, from .env that will look at our env file and now we're doing our first little bit of uh, uh we're doing our first binding so this is a let uh descriptor so like so this is just a normal let in a, a programming language and then it's gonna look up what is the invar set for wallet descriptor and i hopefully that's what i did I, yep i call that wallet descriptor um, and you see that I've got some yellow squiggly. This is an unused variable. So um, we can, oh, GitHub Copilot's pretty, pretty helpful. We can print line this. Um, we could also, uh, something I really like to do in Rust is, is this debug macro, um, so which will print something out as well. And yeah, hey, we got a first uh, mismatched <laughs> type error. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So this is actually pretty nice. Um, I didn't put a semicolon on here. And in Rust, if you don't put a semicolon on the last line, it, you're, you're, this, it's an implicit return. So I'm saying I'm returning this. And, and so Rust is mad at me saying like, hey, I expected the empty type, the empty tuple which is these parens, but I found a string at the end. Um, and my main function says it's not gonna return anything. There's no return type up here. So I'll just fix that with a semicolon. All right, so now we run this and we panicked. Beautiful. Um, so let's look at what happened here. Yeah. Uh, light mode. Is that more readable? Uh, let's see. Theme. How do you do that? Theme. Can I toggle? There we go. Is that better? All right. Sorry, everybody watching this on the internet. Let me put this in quotes, see if that helps. So I've got wallet descriptor in, in just in the root in the .env file. So let's, uh, let's see what I did wrong here. Um, let me try that again. Yeah, it's just not present. So, Thread main panicked at called result unwrap on an error value not present. So what the, 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 this error, this compile error actually tells me where this happened. So that was line eight, right? And so I, I unwrapped something and what does that mean? Well, so let's, let's, let's not, Let's not unwrap it. Or let's just try to read this. Like this is how I would probably do this in a normal programming language, right? I want a descriptor. Let's read the, disc the wallet descriptor. Um, but now if I try to print that, it says result string var error doesn't implement standard format display. So print line doesn't like this result type. Um, there in Rust Analyzer, there's a thing you can get. Um, 
that's called in, inlay hints. I actually, it gets kind of noisy to have them all on all the time. So I uh, disable it by default, but I can like hold this command to see them. So you see this let descriptor is, it's not, we, we'd expect this to be a string, right? We're trying to read this environment variable that should be a string, but instead it's a result. And so that is a concept in Rust, um, and uh, it's a really important concept, so it's worth taking plenty of time on. So result in Rust is an enum that could be either okay or error, and it's generic over the type of the okay value and the type of the error value. Um, and so in our case, this is a, if we look at this again, um, this is a result string var error. So have, have people dealt with generics before? I mean, I know they were pretty new to me when I, when I started with Rust, um, but that just means, you know, th th these could be of, of various types. And in this case, what we have is a string or a var, var error. And so that means that the okay type is gonna be a string and the error is gonna be a var error. Um, and what this allows you to do in Rust is to, at compile time, like, the, like I was talking about before, uh, Rust says, hey, you're trying to do something that might not work out. So instead of just hoping it works and putting out in production, I'm gonna force you to, to deal with the fact that this might not work out. And so you need to uh, check if you actually ha got okay, or if you have an error, you should deal with that error. Um, the, um, the hammer for, for dealing with this is you can just unwrap it, which was what I was, let's see. You can unwrap this, this result. And that says, if, uh, if it's okay, then I've got the value. This is almost, this is basically like just using a regular programming language. Uh, I just get the value. Uh, but if it's not okay, I'm gonna panic. I'm gonna, the program will crash. And I'm doing that for the reasons of safety. Like uh, we've gone past a, a, a point in the program's logic that I clearly understood. And I don't want my program to keep running uh, in some weird undefined way. So I'm just gonna crash. Um, the other, other thing we can do with this, so if we don't unwrap this, let's say, let's call this result descriptor, and we'll say, let me close that over there. Oh, and GitHub Copilot helps me again. So we could say, let's let the descriptor be the result of matching on this enum. Remember, result is that enum of okay or string. And then we'll just go through the branches. If it's okay, we destructure out this value and we return the value that we actually want. And if it's an error, we'll panic and we'll print the error. So let's, uh, let's try to run this, let's try to run this again. Match is exactly like a switch statement. Yeah, uh, there. You know, the matching on enums is really nice in Rust, and it has some powers and capabilities that aren't very common in a lot of languages. Switch statements, uh, but um, but yeah, it's pretty much it was pretty similar. 
Um, yeah, so it's, it still says the environment variable not found. So I'm, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, to be honest. Does anybody have any ideas? Yeah. Running it, just just do export while descriptor and the string, and then see if the the uh, dot in uh, library picks it up. It's working for me. Well, that worked. Yeah. Can you do this? Can you export a file. No. I thought I did source.in. This is literally the reason that I used this. Uh, Also, uh, see, I already cheated up here too. From file name is also returning a result of, uh, of a path. Um, well, this 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 is a this is a sad start, but um, wallet descriptor. Let me look at uh, this one. We got the descriptor in var wallet descriptor. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't copy and paste enough code. So let's, uh, let's look at this. Um, I believe this, this, um, it's confusing me. This function adds some paths and then this function actually, this is why I always look at the examples directory because they'll let me know about this. I think this is what actually like, um, uh, actually loads them. <laughs> there we go. Oh, value line parse. So we got a new we we got a new unfit we got a new unwrap failure. All right, hey, that one didn't crash. So what this this okay does? I don't know why it didn't work with unwrap, but um. Yeah, we got it. we've got our descriptor now. That's exciting. Um, I just got rid of that just to remind myself, like that these are from this .env library. Like this isn't some function I wrote. Like this is in the .env space namespace. Um, and I could also, you know, I could also get rid of this one and just use it like that. All right, hey, we've got we've got some working code. Uh, uh, this is this is pretty exciting. Um, let's see. So let me look. Go back to my to do list. We <laughs> we read the descriptor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We can also add uh, anyhow for for handling the error. So we. Um, Instead of doing this where we're going to match on the error, and instead of just doing an unwrap here, we can be a little more idiomatic and we can use this question mark operator. 
But it says the question mark operator can only be used in a function that returns a result or an option. So what we can do is main can actually return a result. And uh, well, Copilot's just going wild here. Um, now it's mad about all sorts of things. Oh yeah, so I... Um, let's see. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we're saying this function now returns a result, which could be, um, but it, it returns a, a, a result with the empty type. And so, thank you, Ben. So we can just do that. Okay, at the end. And now let's just call this descriptor. And so basically, you know, the question mark operator is typically saying like, hey, I don't really care about this error right now. I'm just going to bubble it up to whoever's calling me. In this case, this is the main function. So this will bubble up. Um, and I believe panic if there is an error. Um, but let's, uh, let's, just, let's just make this a little nicer. Uh, this is maybe a little uh, more concepts than we want right now. Um, but uh, it's pretty common for writing application code to use a crate called uh, anyhow. So if you do cargo add anyhow, and maybe actually before I import that, let me try to motivate this. We do, do this. Oops. I don't know why these need to be OKs. Well, I'll just use I'll just use the anyhow result and try to explain what's going on. But you see this box den stand error. Remember, a result is an enum over a result uh, string or well, a result of whatever the type is and whatever the type of the error is. And you see, in this case, this is var error. Um, and that different functions that you return could be from like totally different libraries and are gonna have different error types. And so you can't just uh, assume that everything's gonna have the same error type. And that ends up being kind of a bit of a problem to, because you, you have to somehow convert all the error types into the same error type because Rust is so strongly typed. So the nice thing with anyhow is that you can be more generic and just use kind of magically, it will handle all these different error types. Um, there's lots of other stuff that anyhow gets you, but that's kind of one of the reasons why I pull it in pretty easy early when I'm, when I'm writing application code, just so I don't have to think about reconciling all these different error types. And so now we have an anyhow result. And, and all we worry about is what the, the type of the value we want, and we just kind of forget about what the type of the error is. Um, all right, so we got our wallet descriptor. We're making great progress. And let me just go to the readme, um, and we're gonna add BDK. So we're actually, we're actually gonna be real Bitcoin developers now, and not just uh, .env <laughs> developers. So let's add another crate. Cargo add BDK. 
Um, if you look down here, we'll actually get in a this a little bit later. Uh, when we added BDK, it brought in some some default features. Uh oh, failed to run build scripts. Hope that doesn't ruin ruin my entire day. Um, looks awful oh you know what okay this is i'm gonna have to fix some settings for rust analyzer so um for some libraries that i developed they need like a, a different compiler because they have c dependencies uh, when you're using rust and it's just all rust everything typically just works just fine when you start integrating with the C ecosystem, which, for instance, a lot of Rust, uh, Bitcoin stuff uses libsecp, um, there's some problems compiling on Mac. And so Rust Analyzer is compiling your code to give you these nice uh, hints and stuff. And, uh, and so sometimes it will fall over. So I added these extra flags for so that it would work. And... I'm just going to get rid of those flags. So hopefully you didn't run into that problem. Um, but it, 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 it sucks. And this happens in Rust where you had this wonderful setup and everything was working. And then you added a dependency or you did something. And then your IDE stops being magical in IDE. And I'm very heavily reliant, maybe too, too heavily reliant on, on the IDE aspects. So I, I, I needed to fix that for myself. Um, See if we have any Rust Analyzer is no longer mad at me, it seems like. So that's exciting. Yeah, so index and so we and now we got the inlays and stuff. Okay. So we have we have an ID again. So we added BDK, and what I was saying is that BDK has some default features, um, and then it has a bunch of optional features. Um, and we'll use one of those optional features in a bit, but that's, that's all that's going on when we cargo added. So everybody's got BDK added. All right, so let's, um, let's pull up the BDK website and look at the example. So this is their example of, of syncing the balance of a descriptor. Um, and we're going to basically be able to, to, to pull this straight in um, and do, just do some, some liberal copy and pasting. But um, we could try to write this. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the best strategy. It's, just, it's a lot of syntax to, to remember. So I, I actually really do struggle to just free, freely write Rust. And maybe that's an aspect of my memory. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's, uh, let's, try to, let's try to make this wallet. Um, we could just try start out with, so let's say let our wallet, we're making a new variable equals wallet new. All right, so failed to resolve. We haven't declared this variable. So we're going to import the BDK wallet. Um, and so now we've got that up in our imports up top. All right, so now it says it's expecting four arguments, and it found zero. And if you'll notice, 
you know, we can hover over this. I mean, you know, like in TypeScript where you can see like, hey, what arguments does this function want? But these are like <laughs> a descriptor E. <laughs> um, change descriptor option E. Network is network. Uh, database is D. Like what, it, what do these even mean? And then you'll see down here, it says where E is into wallet descriptor. So that means E is a generic and it, any type that would be convertible into a wallet descriptor. So what we'll try to do is we'll try to give it uh, our, our descriptor and see if, it, see if it likes that. So I'll just put our descriptor right here. Um, it says the next argument is change descriptor option string. Um, and the nice thing with the option, so options are very similar to results. So it's another enum and it's option, it's generic over T. And it's some T if we have it or none. So result is okay if you have it or error and then the type of error. Option just doesn't have the error, it's just a none. So we, um, so what I'll just do is say none. So we're just not gonna use the change description and that's fine. Um, and so then which network? In this case, this is a capital N network. So there, we got some type here. Uh, and so what we'll do is, I believe this is the, oh, sometimes here. I do this a lot where you can just, uh, like I command click and I go to the actual code, right? I'm in BDK source wallet, right? So like, what is this network type? Um, oh, so that's a Bitcoin network constants. So this is a type from the Rust Bitcoin library. And if we click, click into that, it's just an enum. Um, so well, we, we're going to want a test net. So if we put in network test net, it says we don't have that uh, type yet. So we'll import that. Um, in this case, BDK is re-exporting this, this type from the Bitcoin Rust library. Um, this is a bit of a gotcha in Rust sometimes where uh, multiple libraries that have a shared dependency, it's actually very important that they have the same version of the dependency. So sometimes like I could, I could cargo add Bitcoin and have the Bitcoin library myself, and then I would just use Bitcoin network and that would probably be fine uh, but in this case they're re-exporting it for me so i'll just i'll just stick with that but that's just something to watch out for especially when you're using multiple libraries that have that same reference in this case to rust bitcoin you kind of want them to stay in sync all right so we're at four of our three arguments and let's the last one so this it wants a, a database um, so let's let's dive into this i actually remember this being very, very hard the first time I ever used. Um, like, what is D? So it's a, it's a batch, a batch database. Okay. A database that supports batch operations. But how do I make one of these? How do I have this? And I just, I never, I never uh, determined that myself. So I just, let's go see what they do. Oh, cool. There's a memory database default. So we'll just use an in-memory database. That sounds pretty helpful. Um, all right. 
And uh, let's go back to our main and we'll just pop that in there. All right, so it says the trait bound st standard string descriptor template is not satisfied. The following other types implement trait. So now it's trying to be helpful. And actually maybe it's sometimes these are, these hints are easier to, to read when you just actually just compile it. So it's compiling, right now it's compiling BDK and all of its dependencies. Um, all right. So this is Russ trying to be very helpful. Um, oh, I've got, so I've got to un, I need to declare, I need to import that memory database, but this is our big problem. Trait Brown string descriptor template is not satisfied. Um, and so I just, I, I'm, I know I'm going slow because a part, part of me just hardly remembers anything that I have, have built here, but also I'm going slow because this is what it feels like to write Rust, especially early on is you're gonna be, be seeing documentation or errors that just might found, sound like uh, total Greek. Um, but so all of these, these, uh, these types implement trait descriptor template. It's required for string to implement into, required by a bound. And that bound, if you remember, it, it needs something that implements into wallet descriptor. Um, so one thing I try sometimes, and we'll see if it works here, is called dot into, and that magically worked. Um, what, what that is saying is that some, some kind Rust programmer somewhere has wrote a function that converts strings into wallet descriptors. And so now string, even though I just have a string, and I need a wallet descriptor, I need this very strong Rust type. Um, if I call dot into, uh, then Rust is smart enough to find that, that function in the BDK library that converts strings into wallet descriptors. So that worked for us. And so now we just got one more error. Let's import uh, the memory database. All right. So, Shoot. Oh my gosh. Type annotations needed. Cannot infer type of the type parameter E declared on the associated function new. So I'm saying, hey, I think I can, this can be converted into whatever E is, but we actually don't know what E is. So let's, let's look at how they do this in the readme. I don't, I don't see them dealing with this. Should, okay. But I also look, looks like they're just putting this string straight in here, right? But like, I have a string, like why isn't that working? Um, yeah, I have a, a string capital S, yes. So, I'm going to do this, and I think this is what, I, what would, um, can we import the, the impl into? Oh, that, oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. Borrow of moved value. All right, if, if it's mad about borrow of moved value, I just clone it. 
No, that's not going to work. Oh, it actually it got moved by a debug. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And uh, so, yeah, so we got a few things going on here. Let's 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 try to get. Uh, so I think one of the problems is, so Rust has this concept of the borrow checker, which means if you hand a value to a function, uh, you know, remember Rust is not garbage collected. It 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 needs to keep track of the actual memory lifetime of of everything so that it can can free it um, if it's not being used anymore. And I pass this value into debug, and Rust's like, you know what? You you gave this function. I have no idea what this function is going to do with this value. So I don't know if I can really access that memory anymore. So when I tried to move it in here, it's like, I don't know if that really exists anymore. You passed that to, to debug. So I'm going to get rid of it here. Um, and so now this is compiling. But let's go, now let's do the, the string thing. So if I do, um, uh, let stir descriptor, right? So I'm just going to do a string literal. Uh, let's see what, what Copilot thinks a <laughs> descriptor looks like. Sure. <laughs> Whatever that is, that's, that's definitely not sufficient, but, um, so this is, this is called, and I can do, um, this is, this is a huge, uh, I should have had this in my learning humps of Rust is anstir versus string. Um, I could also do let, String descriptor equals string. Um, oh, that's one way to do it. Sure. So if we, so the capital S string is a, if, if you think of it, what, one way to think about it, and, and, and I, I'm probably the wrong person to really give you a really good, deep explanation of it. But one way I kind of shorthand think of it is that an anster is sort of a fixed, ungrowable array. It's like, I know exactly what this length is. It's just these bytes. That's all the string is, right? The stir is. String is like a, like a, like a vector. It's, like, it's growable. Um, and, and so it, 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 very, it really depends. I'll, I'll, I'll actually create a function. Um, so this is our first Rust function. Sorry that it takes so long. So um, I don't know enough. C. Does anybody know the answer? Like what if, what the analogy is to to C strings and and. Okay, yeah, I'll just repeat what Ben said. So the 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 anster is kind of like a C string, and then the capital S string is is kind of like something in Java. So it's like kind of a, a something that you typically have in like a higher higher level programming language. Um, yep. Okay. Are you are you doing use BDK Bitcoin network? And you you should only have hit imported BDK. 
in your car, you cargo added BDK? And you're getting, Ben's gonna look over. Yep. Uh, what happened? What was the problem? Yeah. Oh, down here, right? Because that name, that namespace is already imported. Um, okay, yes, uh, someone asked um, uh, where can you get the descriptor? So I just copy and paste the one that is on the BDK uh, GitHub example. Because I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be able to spend it. I'm just going to pay to this. This one, this should be a valid descriptor. Does that work? So I um, just kind of still digging into this string stir thing. I've got a function that takes strings and it's this string type, right? Um, and so if I call this function that takes strings, um, if I pass it this stir descriptor, or, it says expected string found and stir. So one easy way to do it is that you can just call two string, right? It's real easy to turn one of these stirs in, into a string. Another thing you can do, and then and the, and the reverse is pretty common as well, where you have a, a function that takes an and stir, which is our case in, in BDK, where they were fine with the and stir. And it now says expect an answer and found string. So an ampersand in Rust it means it's a reference. Um, so remember I was talking about that that borrowship and ownership. So like if I took um Let's see, let's get rid of that one. And we've got our descriptor. And we have a function that takes uh, strings and we'll pass it this descriptor, but we'll pass it as a, as a reference, right? So we had a, we have cap, descriptor is a string, but we added this little ampersand before it. And that's passing it by reference. And so what a reference means is that you don't own, I mean, it means a lot of things, and, uh, but one of the things it means is you don't own this memory. So you're not allowed to mess around with it. And so remember we had that problem before where I was passing descriptor. When I pass descriptor to, to debug and I don't clone it, 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 we have a borrow of a moved value. D debug moved that value because I passed 
the descriptor by value because it was of type string. Um, but if I pass a, if I clone it right here, just like, hey, I'm not going to give you the original and just give you a copy, then it's fine. But also here where I pass it by reference, I still have it. I still have it down here. I don't think I even need to clone. Yeah, I don't even need to clone it. So, so Rust is saying like, hey, I'm gonna handle, I'm gonna hand this function, this thing, cause it wants it, but I'm only gonna, handing it a reference to it. So that means I still have it later to pass to another function. Yeah, the, the, it is part, partly about mutability. In fact, in Rust, uh, by default, um, bindings are immutable. You'd have to, to make it mutable, you'd have to make it mutable like this, like let mute, so to make it mutable. But it's more about this borrowing aspect, this like lending aspect. Um, one, one of the, I mean, there's a lot to it, but you know, like a good uh, mental model is, is a loaning out a book. Um, you can, if, if, if you want to have a, like, uh, a, a, a mutable version of a book, now the, the analogy is already falling apart, but, um, you really can only have one person that can change the book. Right. Um, but you can hand out a bunch of copies to a bunch of people. Right. And if you think if you had a book, right, that you could edit, but you also made a bunch of copies. What would it even mean to edit the book? Because these people have copies, right? So you can either have one person with like mutable access or the ability to destroy the book, right? Which is what's happening in the case of when I pass it to debug, debug's like, ah, we're, the program's done with this value. I can just release it from memory. Um, so if you want somebody to be able to destroy a value or change a value, yeah, you need to have uh, this, this exclusive ownership. Uh, but if you if 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 nobody has exclusive ownership right now and it has that capability to destroy or mutate, it means you can pass out unlimited copies by by reference or or in various other ways. Um, the other the other the other way the reason why clone is like a get out of jail free card a lot of times is because I'm just saying like hey let's have another whole not just a copy but like a whole new value that is the same. Um, all right, so we've got this wallet, that, and now it's an unused wallet. I don't even know if, you, if it implements debug. All right, apparently it does implement debug. So we'll try to run this, see what we get. We got a mini script error, unexpected error, error while parsing key derivation path. So it doesn't like this descriptor for some reason. Has anybody else run into that? No, I got rid of the copilot descriptor. I shouldn't. It's possible that my I did something wrong on my EMV file. What if I get rid of these quotes? We go to 
You got the one from the readme. Let me look. See if I did anything different in my example project. Oh, that, look at that. I got that weird string escape in there. All right, so this is potentially some copy and paste error on my part. Um, yeah, so that does, that's not helping anything. Yeah, it's it's like escaping the string at the end. Remove the what? change descriptor just to be one of the, the lowercase strings, then it should work. That, the the ampersand should do that. Yeah, that's what the, what the ampersand does. Yeah, that should that should just be the same thing. Um, let me look at uh, if I did anything different. Um, uh, description. Is the ampersand the same thing as the uh, as underscore str? Yeah, that's the same thing. What if I source that There we go. <laughs> Okay, maybe it's not rereading uh, the. It doesn't apparently reread this EMV file. I still have to like source it so that's okay. All right, so we have a wallet. Good work, everybody. <laughs> um, so this is a this is type wallet. So debug if 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 a struct implements a debug, we actually haven't done anything with. There's a lot in here, but this is all that's decoded into. But let's just start using this, and we'll just kind of try to keep going. Oh yeah, string versus string, and yeah, and I, if if you notice, we use uh, we used a question mark here, right? So we're unwrapping that error, or not unwrapping. We're uh, we're able to bubble up that error as in, through anyhow the result. Um, let's close some of these tabs. Dot okay, and I, to be honest, I don't know why this was not working with just unwrap. Uh, it converts from a result to an option. So remember we have result and we have option. So it's basically just a way to like dis discard that error. Um, and yeah, .env is doing some kind of weird magical stuff that I don't really know what, what's going on there. But uh, that, that's what, one of the things with Rust, that I kind of talked about that 
that uh, curve of uh, I don't like this. I I I have a thing that works, but it's kind of sucky. Like maybe you're doing unwrap or something, and then later on you're like, okay, there's an idiomatic way to do this very specific thing I want to do. Um, and in this case, it turns out okay is I I guess they want it as an option T instead of a a, a result T. I don't know why they designed their thing like that. Yeah. Well, so so the question mark is more of me as a consumer, how I'm consu handling the fact that it's a result or an option. Here, it seems like they they don't want if so if 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 um. Well, show me the type. So if, if you look at the type that this is returning, it's returning a result, and then okay, it's returning it to an option. And so my assumption was okay. Well, I'll just unwrap this, right? So it's not going to be a result or an option. It's just going to be the value, or I'm going to panic. And so when I try to do it like that, of course, it just works. <laughs> so, so nobody knows anything and uh, whatever. This is what it looks like when I copy and paste from them. So I'll just stick with that. Um, just one of life's little mysteries, I guess. Um, so let's, uh, let's return an address uh, from, uh, the, from, the, from our wallet. Um, so let's pull up uh, BDK's example code. They've got, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty dang easy. Wallet uh, dot get address. So this is just a, if you notice, so there's this syntax with these colon colon, and then there's also, there's a dot syntax. Um, and they, they're, they're just, they're kind of similar. But anyways, we have a wallet. Like what methods do we have? This is this is when it's nice to have an IDE. So there's a lot of things we can do. Um, we could get the balance, but we right now we don't have a. Um, so we say let balance. Equals wallet dot get balance. Oh, we did it again. Where I tried to debug that wallet borrow of moved value. So let's get rid of that. And so let's just uh, debug out that balance. See what we get. Should be none because we don't have a way of yeah. The balance is 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 empty. Um, if you look, if you notice in their example, um, they actually sync their wallet with the Electrum blockchain. I don't because this example has been in here. I wonder if it has any funds. So let's just do this. I'm just going to copy and paste. I need to get this window over here. Okay. So let's get this blockchain. And so let's see. We want to wallet.sync and then we'll pass this blockchain by reference. All right. Oh, really? Oh, sweet. Okay, so we, we're going to pass this. You see, it wants a reference to this B that's generic over various types of blockchains. So we're going to pass this blockchain that we created by reference. Um, and then there's uh, some sync options. And in this case, we can use um, default. 
Ooh, and that was good enough for us. Um, and we got some more types we got to import. I just imported uh, sync options, by the way. Um, import the Electrum blockchain. All right, so now what we'll do, so we've got a wallet. We sync that wallet. We get the balance of the wallet, and then we're going to debug print out the, that balance. We run that. So it's syncing. All right, we got some sats. Well, we don't have the sats because we don't know the private key. But somebody has some sats, um, some testnet sats. So that's that's great. All right, so let's uh, let's print out the first uh, address. What was it? So let address equals wallet dot uh, get new no. You get the private key. That doesn't seem very. Okay, I'm being trolled by the audience. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. So we got another type. So we're gonna call this get address, and it takes this reference to self. So this is what this is the difference between uh, like a method with these like colon colons on it versus like a method with this dot on it. Like the dot methods are are, are things that that typically are things that take a, like a reference to the self, to the self being this object that we created up here, this wallet. Um, so we're gonna get address, and then in this case, it, it it's pa it's asking for an enum. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And in this case, so you know, X, uh, an XPub, you know, you can derive addresses uh, based on an index. So we're just saying, hey, get a new index, and so it has its own database of the state of the wallet. And so when it, it'll just get the next uh, next index that it thinks is valid. So we'll we'll get the address and we'll debug this address. We run this. All right, we got address info. So it's saying the index is 64, and this is the address. Now, that's interesting that it didn't just use index address zero, and I'm guessing that's because it synced the wallet and found that uh, a bunch of addresses had already been used, and it didn't want to reuse those. So let's get rid of this blockchain stuff and just try to get the first address. Um, Yeah, and we get address address zero. Now, if we call that again, um, you can shadow variables in in Rust. That's all fine. So we should get yeah, we get address zero, address one. But you notice if I do this again, we get address zero and we get address one, right? So we're not saving any state, so we don't know which index we are at unless we would sync to, to the blockchain, and then we could look at what addresses have been used. Um, this is a pretty good uh, spot. Uh, we, we can do a lot more, um, but I wanted to see if anybody has any questions about where we're at right now and what we've done so far, and anything that, that is just like, I wrote that and maybe it worked, but it was gibberish. Any, any, any questions? It's all really, 
This is just obvious and straightforward. <laughs> ben wants to know about lifetimes. That's uh, Tony's going to explain those uh, next week at L the LDK workshop. All right. So, so is it better just to put question marks everywhere or just to actually have a dot expect to kind of error handle? Like, what is, like, how often do you use the question mark at the end? Yeah, uh, so the question is, how often do you use the, the, the uh, question mark uh, versus uh, like a dot expect? So a dot expect is a, a lot like a, an unwrap, actually. So a dot expect um, will panic if the value is not there, just like an unwrap is, except you like why I think. Typically, um, typically, when I use expect in Rust is I've done some other validation myself and I just know I've got this and I'm fine that the program crashes if it's not there uh, because I expect it to be there. So like if, if I have an unwrap in my code, like before I like make a pull request, I'm gonna fix that to typically handle the result or the option. Um, but if I'm absolutely confident that unwrap uh, is not gonna fail, then I'll, I'll write it as an expect and say like, here's why I think this can't fail. Um, and if I don't have a good reason why I think it can't fail, then I need to handle, um, handle that result or that option, which um, question mark is saying, let's just bubble up the problem to the caller. The caller is gonna call me, um, let's see. Like let's let's make a new let's make a function called setup, and it's going to return a result. Anyhow, result. So this is going to do all of our all of our setup for us. Remember, it's it's saying it expected a result this function to return a result, and it found nothing. So we'll just retur we'll tr return okay. You can also, by the way, in Rust, you can type in type return, but um, it's idiomatic to just, this is implicit return. So now we'll just call that setup function, uh, setup. And actually we don't wanna just return okay, we wanna return this, uh, this descriptor string, right? So instead of the, that empty tuple, we'll say this is going to return a string. So now if I save that, it'll be mad like, hey, you're trying to return an empty type. But we'll return the descriptor. All right. So we're still, we're still doing this question mark in here, right? But what this is saying is that if this is an error, I'm just going to bubble up that error to the caller. So now I need to handle it here when I call setup. So I'm going to say uh, let... Uh, descriptor, because that's what we wanted in in the first place, equals what's returned from setup. And now you see we're mad because I'm trying to pass this reference to a string here because I have a, a reference to a result because setup returns a result. So anyways, I can, I can unwrap that. Now I've got the value, but I'd panic if it doesn't work. Or I handle the here, error here, which is a result. Uh, which it's, it bubbles up to the main function. Um, or the other thing I can do is um, I can match on this, remember? So let's do this one more time just because it's really good conceptually for what we're doing. If I get, if, if, if it's okay, so like 
if you this is the destructuring syntax in Rust, um, which gets used a lot. Um, in this case, so I'm basically like I get this out of the okay as a as a value, um, and I destruct structure it out, and I just return the descriptor, um, and then the this is one one of the things I don't know how many languages have this where this is a switch statement that is returning a value right this a this this match actually can return a value and I can assign to it um, and then if it's an error we'll just handle the error right here that's a good point yeah so with, um, the the so pointed out that I'm basically silencing, ignoring this error. I'm saying this is okay. Um, uh, everything's okay. Um, this will, um, I think this will return out of the function. That returns to main and then, but what is this descriptor? Whether you can't, you can't have it be void. So, This return will stop main. Yeah. So this function won't continue uh, because, because this, this has to be you match the different match arms can't return uh, different values. Um, so the, you see this arm is returning string error either needs to like, um, basically like totally fail or it needs to, to, it needs to return the same thing. That's a good point. Yeah. Let's see, let's call it, let's uh, panic. M must be a string literal. That's another way of say like an answer. All right. And then at that point, this is an unreachable because you can't, it, the program, it knows it's not going to keep going. It's not going to get to this okay point because it panicked. Um, Is it common to return a result, okay, or error? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the way I typically do it is I write the function, just returning the type I want, and I start doing whatever logic I need to do. And then I realize like, oh, there's something in here that could fail, right? So let's say we w don't want to return a result. We just want to return a string. I don't, I don't want to burden my collaborators with, with always having to handle this error that my function is returning, so it could potentially return. So let me handle this. So, so let's say, so we've got this descriptor, right? Um, and we can't use the question mark anymore because this function doesn't return a result anymore. So we'll take this and then we'll say, um, we'll match on that descriptor. And then if, we, if it's okay, we'll, uh, we'll return the descriptor. So that's good. And if it's an error, Let's just we'll just put in a default value. The this the the fallback will be uh, I'll I'll just return. Um, sorry, you saw that mismatch types by the way. It's like hey, this thinks it's going to return string, um, but here it's it's not returning anything. So let's um, let's just return a um, WPK. Yeah, let's. 
copilot's fake descriptor, convert that into string, and then get rid of this. All right, so now we have a function that doesn't return a result anymore. It always succeeds. And we know this at compile time, that this is always, this is always gonna work. Um, and we got the this descriptor, and if we fail to get that descriptor, right, because this is the part of the problem, the part of the code that we're not really sure about. Like, what if Paul fucks up, and he doesn't do something right with his .env? I don't want him, his first experience with my program where it crashes, so I'll just handle that for him and return a default. Of course, that default doesn't actually work, but hey. Um, and so here we can just say that let the descriptor equals the return value of this setup function. And now we get a little warning about unused variables. So you can in Rust, if, you, if you're ignoring a value here, I'm ignoring this error. I didn't deal with it. So you can just re replace that with a uh, underscore. Cool, all right. Um, I think what we could do is add a little persistence. Um, we had that that thing where you know each time we run this, uh, we get uh, the first and second address um, unless we do the sync. So um, I hate to do this to you because it's going to change pretty soon how uh, storage works in BDK. Um, but um, I wrote this a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm just gonna give it a shot. So, um, oh yeah, we've got, I've, man, I've got a lot of things going on in here. Um, so yeah, we're gonna use a SQLite database. And so the first thing we need to do for this, let's see, I think I have this in my notes, right? And then just put myself in a total, yeah. So let's make it so the app uses SQLite to to persist. So that means every time we run this, we should be getting a new address. Um, so now we're going to go back to that to cargo add and we're going to add a feature. So if you cargo add and then you say features, SQLite. One thing that's really common is, um, is uh, uh, libraries will leave off uh, maybe like uh, some serialization stuff that they don't know that you'll definitely need, but you always end up using it. So you'll add that as a feature, essentially. Um, so in this case, I added the feature SQLite. And if we look at what that does in the cargo toml, instead of just having the version, we have the version and we have this optional uh, SQLite feature. So let's... Now in here, instead of using this uh, memory database, we're gonna use the SQLite database. I don't know what the actual syntax is. Copilot thinks it's open, but let's see what it actually is. New, so we'll pass it a path. All right. So let's call this um, paypal.db and get rid of this memory database. All right. So now this, this actually, this happens a lot um, in Rust, so I just want to warn you about it. You see this as ref path 
right? So Rust, again, is very much trying to be, uh, to, to, to defend you with strong types. So in this case, you, it's, you can take a, a string literal um, and that can be converted into a path. Uh, so that's fine. But you could also, you could say like, uh, let uh, my path equals uh, paypal.db, right? And what we'll do is um, you could do, uh, Rust infers types, uh, but you, sometimes uh, you, you, can, you, you might want to be a little more explicit and you can actually say, here's what the path, uh, here's what the type this variable is going to be. Um, and so I need to import that. So this is part of the Rust standard library. So now it says this is a, a mismatch type and I expected a path and I found a, a reference. So we'll say uh, path new. Found up. <laughs> and this is great. This doesn't return a path. It returns a reference to a path. Which is, I have no idea why they chose that, but that should actually, let's see if that works. I think they wanted a path buff. So that, might, ah, so that also works. So here we're, we're saying we actually, we actually want, want a path. And um, anyways, so like it's just, it's something to kind of keep an eye out for. Like when you're passing strings around in Rust, uh, sometimes it can be helpful to kind of elevate them to like the the, the real type. Like uh, same thing could have happened here. Instead of just trying to pass this uh, descriptor in here and hope that they handle it, like you could parse it as a wallet descriptor yourself and make sure that you have the right type before you like proceed with trying to make this wallet. Um, all right, so we've got this database. I don't know if, the, is this just going to work? I'm trying to remember what else we need to do. I guess I could look at my readme. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what I did with cargo add, cargo add, BDK, features, SQLite. That is database, colon, colon, and then before we were using memory database, and now we're using SQLite database. Let's get rid of this guy. I think this might just work. You'll notice though, um, all right, we got zero and then we got one. We try it again. Now we get two and three, four, five. So we have, I mean, that kind of, uh, not every experience you ever have with SQL is going to be that straightforward. But um, yeah, we have, the, uh, we have this database. I can show you, um, I got this SQLite viewer. Um, 
There's a few different ways to actually deal with databases in. All right, so we've got um. Yeah, this is this is really all our wall is, other than our descriptor. All the state we're actually saving is this um this last derivation indice. So just trying to uh, watch out for address reuse. Um, and if you remember the example I showed at the, the start, I, I'm using that state to, to make sure I'm not reusing addresses that I'm showing. Um, all right. Well, that was maybe, maybe too easy. Let's see. Let's see. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so we could add a server to this that returns an address on each front. Um, I think one thing that would be really nice. Yeah, let's get, let's give this a shot. My thought was to try to go to like two ish. Is that okay with everybody? Um, all right. I'm also happy to just ask answer just more generic uh, Rust questions. But in this this is a lot. There's going to be a lot more complexity here, and so I might I might fuck it up, but. It's not, this is also expose a lot more stuff. So, um, yeah, like I said, I really like examples. So, Axum is one of the is server libraries in Rust. Um, Tokyo is one of the popular async runtimes in Rust. And so, Tokyo is winning the async runtime popularity contest, and therefore, their blessed web server is, is, potentially winning the 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 web server popularity contest. So let's just look at their um their hello world and we can just copy and paste it. Yeah, but basically we're going to have an async program now and that needs an what's called an async executor and I'm not going to dive too much into that but just know that means we're going to decorate our our uh our main with this macro that will add an async executor. And then we'll also say that this is an async function now. And now we'll magically be able to do like dot await kind of stuff. Um, so it's gonna, we're gonna build an application. So we just create this router, we choose our address, and then we bind our server to the address and we serve um, this um, the app. I don't know what, what app. Where's the handler? Oh, that's, the, that's right here. That's in the Git. So we're adding to this router a, a Git method on this route. And this is the actual handler. So this is a function. Notice this is a function. What's being passed as a value here. So that means this, the, this, this function is going to be called when, when, when Git is hit. So anyways, let's just copy and paste this in. And just give it a shot. And yeah, this is um, Axum examples. Hello world. Main.rs. All right, so let's, um, let's just, we'll create the wallet. And then we'll actually, let's see, we want. Want this. 
Okay, let's say. And we'll just come with this stuff out for now. So we, it's going to be mad because we need to add Axum. I think I put in here, we're going to add Axum. We're going to add Serde, which is serialization, deserialization, which is basically we're going to turn types into JSON so we can send them over the wire. Serde, and we're going to add a feature to Serde, which is derive. We're also going to add Serde JSON because Serde doesn't actually handle JSON out of the box. Um, this. I've done this for basically almost every Rust program I've ever wrote. <laughs> but I ended up having to add Surday, add the derive, add Surday JSON. So maybe someday this will be like part of the standard library. Um, Rust kind of has, so first I'm adding Axum. Then I'm going to add, go add Surday, features, derive. We're going to add Surday JSON. We're going to add Tokyo. And we're just going to take all the features of Tokyo because I don't know I don't know which ones I can live without. Um, and now we have an incredibly bloated REST program, probably with over, over 200 dependencies, <laughs> something like that. So I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's a, a definitely a, a, a REST problem. And then I'll just go through all these and import import oh yeah in this case there's a bunch of different ones i believe i'm going to want tokyo's socket address instead of the standard so rust standard library was all written before async was even invented for rust um so everything in at rust standard library is designed in for a synchronous context um I don't think I don't know how much this matters actually in a, a socket socket address. In fact, it's very possible that they're like re-exporting one of these, but um, usually err on the side of. Um, all right, so doesn't like that socket address, but let's add that macro to the top. Let's put this over in this desktop. So this is the Tokyo main. So this is saying we're, we're going to have a, an async main function that will have this async runtime. If you, could, if you think of like a, a simple way to think of the async runtime is like it's, it's kind of a dispatcher. It's, it's going to kind of do the scheduling instead of using manually doing like something like threading or something like that for, for multitasking. You're going to hand off these async jobs to this executor and it's going to do something magical with them and uh, keep your program keep your program going. Let's actually see, yeah, I got it wrong. They actually use the standard net socket address instead of their own. And I don't know why that is, but uh, we'll switch that type. Um, and now it just wants to have this handler. So we'll write this handler, or we can copy and paste it. Um, so we'll just put a function out here. And uh, import axum. So this is our our import block now. Uh, I'll get rid of the ones we're not using. Oh, we're gonna need a address index. Um, 
We got Axum, which has a router, and uh, we have the standard socket address. So those, those are things we, we added. And apparently need to import Git as well. So that's routing Git. All right, so now we actually, I think we have a web server built. So let's see what happens if I cargo run this. Oh, we're only up to 172, we're good. Only? <laughs> All right, it says it's listening on 3000. So let's... Uh... Hello world. All right, we've got um, we've got a web server. So we can. What we're going to want to do, and I'll look at my previous project for reference on this to make sure we get there before two p.m. But um, we want to return. Um, well, what we want to return is um, something that impels into response, and basically. JSON impulse into response. So we're gonna get a we're gonna create a struct that we can convert into JSON, which Axum can turn into a response to a request. So let me make sure I get this. Um, yeah, let's, let's see. I don't know if this will actually work with anyhow. So remember, just like uh, BDK, except it's something that could be converted into a wallet descriptor. Axum, like handlers, are things that um, can be returned into uh, an HTTP response. All right, so that's still compiling. So let's 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 make our first struct. I can't believe we've gotten this far without actually making a struct. We've just been doing some enums. So let's call this um, um, address response. So um, if you're not familiar, you know uh, structs are pretty common in languages like C and C plus plus and stuff. Um, there, you, there. All, TypeScript has like interface or type. Um, it's the shape of the object. It's not the thing itself. It's what this object always looks like. So let's say we're going to return a string, and let's also return the index. Um, as a very new programmer, I, when I started with Rust, uh, these uh, number types were pretty tricky for me. Uh, basically, you have ints. So like. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> that was helpful. Um, also, uh, U size and I size. So these are the size of how this number is stored in memory. Obviously, you know, smaller, smaller numbers have a, like a lower cap of of how big of a number they can be. Um, U size and I size are the memory size of the machine you're running on. So this is kind of bare metal stuff that you don't typically have to think of in a lot of languages. Um, and you just kind of get comfortable with it in Rust. 
it's usually pretty safe to just you know work with like a u64 that's an unsigned integer so that means no negatives or an i an i64 um or you could use u size i size but you're probably going to end up coming across libraries that are trying to return you a u16 that you want to convert into a u64 or a library that wants a U16 and you have a U64, and at that point it is actually something that could fail in your program, because you, you. I mean, I've I've actually seen there was a huge bug in uh, a JavaScript library that uh, just didn't uh, contend with the fact that there is a uh, like a you know a, the integers only get so big, and 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 they just. I think they started overflowing or whatever. Rust is going to make you deal with the fact that this U64 might not deal fit into this U16. So what are you going to do about it? Um, and then there's also floats, um, F32 and F64. Uh, so anyways, we took a 32-bit unsigned integer. And so this is our address response. Um, oh, it doesn't like this. Might, I might do a little, let's see. It says, consider Axum debug handler to get a better error. I thought that was working just a second ago. Didn't we run that? So we're getting some nasty errors and this is part of you know what's really challenging about um, so handler's not implemented for future output result implement to, to handler. So they're recommending this little macro to improve the error messages that they just gave me. So let me try that. What's that? Where, what, 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 what would I await? I think they should be awaiting that for me. Like, like you're saying like that. Yeah, but see, it's not, it hasn't even been called yet. So like Git should, let's see what this, this macro does. Not fine, debug handler. Might have to add a feature. Um, Axum. Debug handler. Is, that a, is, this a, is there a feature flag for this? No idea. All right, I don't, I can't get this to work. So in the interest of time, I'm gonna look at uh, my old project and what I did and the, the, the type signature. Um, it has this concept of an app error. So we make our own error that wraps in. I, I kind of vaguely remember there being some, some weird stuff here. Um, I, I believe I stole this, con like this style of doing things from uh, one of the Axum examples. So this is a so we have this struct here that hope, well, we're hoping that we get to use um, if 
we can get things to compile. Um, this is just more like a type alias kind of, or a, it's, it's a struct that just wraps a value. And remember like, okay, wraps a value. It's, it's, it's very similar to that. So we're just, we've got this error that wraps anyhow error. And then I remember there was some weird thing that we impled. This enables using a question mark on functions that return result anyhow error to turn them into result app error. That way we don't need to do that manually. So this is some amount of, I mean, this is, this is, this is what fighting Rust looks like sometimes is Rust is pretty confident of what type it wants and it's not going to budge unless you can convince it that you're doing it right. And Rust, it, it might uh, be unfair or incorrect in some sense, but if you want to get your program to compile, this is why I spent a lot of time looking at examples and also just searching code on GitHub. Is like, how did, how did someone, how did someone do this? Um, and it's still not happy though. So let's see what else, what else do we do in here? Oh, and then I tell Axum how to, Uh, we get a little, I'm, I'm not going to dive into traits today, but we're implementing this trait, right? Remember, we've been talking about the into all descriptor, into response in this case. This is a, this is a Rust trait um, that has a function. So it, a trait is similar to a struct. A trait is like a shape of here are the methods that should be implemented to adhere to this trait. So in this case, there's just one function called enter response. So uh, the thing we're fighting right now is we have this, this result with, with an anyhow, um, with anyhow error in it. And we're trying to get Axum okay with this, this, this type signature, basically. I believe that's all the tacky stuff that I've been doing right now is what is actually getting us. But it still doesn't impl. I think it's because this is. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just look at this type signature until we'll figure it out. Um, oh, and they're just using the regular result. And it's happy. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's uh, obviously I did a bunch of random things, copying and pasting. Uh, and sadly, that's kind of the state of my level of Rust knowledge right now. There's definitely a lot of times when I just don't know what I'm doing and I just kind of uh, fight, fight the compiler and look at a bunch of examples until I find something that works. Um, but now we finally have, uh, something that compiles. And, uh, so what we want to do is actually return, um, uh, this address, um, in the interest of time, I'm just going to make this address myself, um, and not use BDK and in my actual example code, it shows kind of how I link this all up. Um, 
So what we want to do is we're going to create this uh, struct. So in, in our handler, let's say, we'll create this response. And you can, um, this is the kind of like the struct literal syntax. And if you can impl, like you can have like a new method on your type for creating a new one, um, or you can just make this literally like this. Um, so now if we try to return this here, so we'll say we're gonna use axioms JSON and it's gonna convert things into JSON and we'll put this response in here. Um, but it it's complains, it says, uh, Serialize is not satisfied. Um, and so this is, that's the kind of the whole thing with, with, um, with Surday. So uh, I, this is something I hadn't really experienced before Rust. And since then, I've seen this in a lot more programming languages. So maybe something you guys are comfortable with. But the idea that just because you have a piece of data, I mean, even in JavaScript, you have to take an object and you have to like JSON stringify it. You have to convert it into to whatever the actual format you want it to be. And so the, the way that that usually works in um, Rust is with Surday, and in this case, serialize. Um, and this is a derived macro. So this means that Surday has written stuff so that it can generically implement the serialized uh, trait for whatever my struct is, as long as every member of that struct also implements serialize. So now we should be able to serialize this. And so now the compile error has gone away. So if we run this again, and we go here, and we got our, our fate struct. So yeah, if we had a bit more time, if I was a little less bad at this, we could get that talking to, to, to BDK and getting these addresses from BDK. But yeah, I, thought I just threw in a lot of things right there. So I think we should maybe just talk through anything that's confusing or magical in here. Um, there is a lot of magical stuff just in async in general uh, that can be kind of hard, hard to have a concept around. But if you want to make a web server, you're probably going to be making things that you're not going to fully understand for a while. Um, and that's it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how, that's again, the stage I'm at with Rust and async. Yeah. Docs are excellent. They're a little bit thick, but they're really well written. So. Axum, uh, the comment was Axum docs are excellent, a little bit thick, well written. Yeah. Tony asked, what's a runtime? Um, I explained it earlier a little bit, but yeah, this is the idea that Tokyo is this, this async executor or runtime. So when you have an async function, for instance, this handler, right, is async. So you, like uh, a, a real loose mental model you can have is like, I'm gonna spawn a thread that's gonna go do that. So I'm not gonna block my main program. I'm gonna run this handler. It's gonna do whatever it needs to do. And then it's gonna signal back to my program, hey, I'm ready. Um, and that's what happens when, I don't know, let's see if we do await. Yeah, we await right now on this on this server, um, and so whenever and and I'm sure under the hood, Git ends up calling await on this handler. They've got a whole macro 
thing. So that's going to be really hard to read. But um, so so the the async executor's job is to to spawn these little tasks. It doesn't typically actually use threads for them. It might use a thread pool. There's a lot of different strategies for how async code gets run in Rust. Uh, but it spawns these tasks, and then it uh, it um when it receives this message that that task is ready, then it brings it back into the main thread and returns the result or whatever needs to happen next. So, you know, the idea of the here is that you can actually have a very high performance web server doing a ton of stuff all at once and, and you don't have to necessarily think about threading or how you're going to make that um, multi-core multi or whatever. Uh, how does it compare to Node.js? Node.js, um, I believe, is pretty much single-threaded. It has so in JavaScript you have this, it's kind of a similar concept of this kind of async uh, um, executor, but the uh, the way it is all runs, it ends up actually being single-threaded in in the long run. Um, is kind of how I understand it. Um, there's a, I'll show what it's called. There's some, yeah, the JavaScript runtime, I would say is, is definitely different. I do think there was a lot of, uh, influence. I think that the async and await like verbiage and stuff like that from JavaScript is, is also kind of how things are, are described, you know, um, I guess in JavaScript, you like you let value equals await async function, right? So it, it, that's the JavaScript style here. We, you call dot await as like this method, but you don't. This, there's not like a paren on it. Um, but you, the the function the declaration is similar, where you pre precede it with an async thing, and you can only you you can always do async things inside of an async function. But um, for instance, if this ace this function main isn't async, I want to be able to do like for instance this await. In here because I don't, I'm not allowed to do async things. I don't know. I don't have, and if I don't have an executor, same thing. I don't, I don't the Rust, because this wasn't part of the original Rust language, the Rust language really doesn't know what to do with this async stuff. Um, as, as far as they've gotten to standardize Rust stuff is these keywords like async and await. Um, there's also this whole concept of like basically futures. Like there's, there's types for all this stuff. Um, if you look at the type signature of um, of handler, because it's an async function, it's actually it's like a it's actually a future, and so that's how Rust has this kind of type safe uh, thinking around all of these things. Uh, the big gotcha is there, there's a really good blog post about this called those, "What Color Is Your Function." And the idea of color functioning, like basically you have, you, you have the red functions and you have your blue functions. Like you have normal synchronous standard Rust code that you're going to learn in the Rust book or whatever. And all of a sudden you have these other functions, async functions. Like async functions have some rules that, that make them in some senses relatively incompatible with some of your synchronous stuff or vice versa. Um, so it, it becomes a pretty big cognitive load. But um, it, it, the Rust community is also taking it very seriously how unergonomic and how much of a learning cliff there is right now. Um, and uh, they're working pretty hard to, to improve that. And so I, I'm optimistic and I have seen a lot of improvements just in the past couple of years.
But I think it's definitely one of the hardest parts of Rust. And it sucks because if you want to make a web server, you're probably going to start using async stuff. Um, so yeah, read the Axum docs <laughs> and hope that they can, they can guide you. And, and, any last questions? Thank you so much for coming here. Hope that was helpful. Oh yeah, I, I, I want to do, let's see, I had, a, I had a bit of a review actually, I just remembered. Um, do we remember what this means? Option T. Option T? Yeah? What is it? Option T, it's basically your, if you think of like in JavaScript, there's like null and undefined. Option T is the concept of a maybe. It can be some or none. And it's an enum that can represent, so you might get some value back or you'll get no value back, which is none. Perfect. Result. Uh, anyone want to take this one? Okay or error. Okay or error. Yeah, so a lot like an option, but also there's a an, a, an error value. What is? Uh, Pass by reference. Pass by reference. And one more. Oh, what's this name? Actually, don't know the name for this now that I think about it. <laughs> Put it on the slide. Maybe. Bubble it up. That's how I think about it. Yeah, bubble bubble this up. It only works inside of a function that does return a result. Last one. Macro. Macro. So like you know it's print line, print line exclamation mark, because it's a macro. And that's it. Thank you so much. Uh, Paul, can you pull up tabconf? Uh, yeah. I, I talked to Tidwell this week. Uh, he had mentioned that if you guys want to do any kind of panels or anything like that, they have a GitHub down there. I, th I think I saw Tony sign up for it too, but they're doing a new thing now. If you go to issues, Paul, um, you can start putting panels that you want to see or uh, ones that you want to put together and then they'll kind of source. They're doing like this open source way of uh, doing a conference this year, which I think is pretty cool. So I definitely want to bring that up. If anybody's interested in going to Atlanta, this will happen around September. And I think tickets are like a hundred bucks. So uh, it's, it's definitely a high signal event. There's, Tacking Lightning Workshop? Yeah. Round two. Oh, yeah. There's there's that one, too. I think they're also doing, like, if you just do thumbs up or rocket ships, it'll get voted in. Um, and people are putting, um, I think I threw something down there, too. Oh, this is sweet. So it's going to use actual Rust Bitcoin. So that's like a layer lower in the stack. We were using BDK. Tony's going to do LDK. Uh, but Rust Bitcoin is the kind of common library underneath both of them. Cool. Uh, yeah, and then Tony's doing an LDK workshop next week. Um, so, yeah, definitely sign up for that. Thanks, guys. Thank you.